0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by Square. It's not business as usual right now. Square has tools to help you stay connected to customers no matter where they are. See everything that's available by visiting square.com go slash line. Welcome to The Line. I'm your host, Eli Sussman. In mid-March, when COVID-19 hit New York City, under orders by the governor, in an effort to save lives and enforce a shelter-in-place, mostly all the restaurants, bars, food trucks, and street vendors in our city ceased to operate. With everyone in lockdown, there were no customers, and so farms, distributors, and purveyors that sell to those businesses were also forced to close. Hundreds of thousands of jobs disappeared in an instant, With no revenues going up and down this chain, people found themselves food insecure and without income, some for the first time in their lives. And it wasn't just those in the food industry that were put in a more precarious situation because of COVID. All over the city, especially for those in marginalized communities, COVID exacerbated existing issues of food insecurity, inequality, and injustice. Within just days of New York City shutting down, Restaurant owners and workers began to try to use their kitchens to provide food for healthcare workers, the unemployed, and the food insecure. One group that has led this effort is the Food Issues Group, or FIG, a loose collective of social justice-oriented members of the food community in New York City and upstate New York. Despite the fact that many of them had their own worries about their own jobs, businesses, and futures, they jumped to action in order to feed people. And all of this happened through a network of volunteers with no local or federal government funding and no corporate sponsors. On today's special episode of The Line, recordings from a single day in May following FIG members talking about their efforts to feed people during the COVID-19 crisis. We'll hear from one of the founders of FIG about how the group came to be and how this food relief program began, one of the farm partners donating product a chef whose own restaurant is closed and is now handling delivery logistics, a catering company that lost all its business and is now producing hundreds of meals a week for those in need, a volunteer delivery driver finding just a bit of joy during COVID while heading to a drop-off, and a leader at a community organization whose members are recipients of these fig-made meals. A note that Samisa, my restaurant, is a fig member and I am cooking meals as part of this effort. The next voice you'll hear is the chef wise, one of the founders of fig
2: Fig started about five years ago when a bunch of chefs and GMs and other folks working in the food and hospitality industry, wanted to form really a study group, uh, an opportunity to educate ourselves, read books and watch films that could help us think through the issues that we were all struggling with, pretty much isolated from each other in our different food businesses. At the time, mostly restaurants, but over the years, uh, FIG has become a group of people working across a really wide range of uh, areas and positionalities in the food world, which has been actually such a valuable aspect of the space that FIG creates because so rarely do distributors, uh, producers, farmers, chefs of catering companies, chefs of uh, restaurants uh, have the opportunity to discuss these issues around Sustainability and equity that actually are very much interconnected. So we act in silos trying to address issues that are very much woven together. We've focused on digging deeper into sustainable food waste management. Uh, the role restaurants play in gentrification, uh, issues and questions around cultural co-optation, sustainable seafood, uh, how to figure out ways for small restaurants to partner with small farmers with regenerative farming practices. Um, We have... uh, Worked with Puerto Rican and indigenous food sovereignty activists and chefs and seed keepers and farmers um, on different projects, ranging from uh, fundraisers to help folks rebuild farms in Puerto Rico um, after the hurricane and uh, working with the Eye Collective. To produce an all pre colonial cuisine, uh, indigenous culture and history and knowledge focused pop up during Thanksgiving as a kind of intervention. Um, so we have chefs from several different uh, food businesses who are either closed currently to the public or have pivoted to home delivery or pickup or takeout, who are all sharing resources, who are all taking on a piece of the production um, for the hundreds of meals that we're sourcing and preparing and packing for our delivery system to households of members of Street Vendor Project um, of movement for justice in El Barrio. Uh, We're starting to work with uh, undocumented immigrant community organizers in Bay Ridge and sunset park. Uh, We're working with folks throughout the Bronx and Queens, as I said before, and um, we're, also making sure that there's really open lines of communication with these partner organizations so that we can constantly figure out together how to improve um, our system to make sure that what the, the foods that we're providing are actually desired and helpful and healthful for the people who we're uh, feeding so that we're building equity and uh solidarity into the recipe, so to speak, of our food relief effort. And we um, see this as an extension of the work we are already doing to shift the food and hospitality industry um, towards a more humane and democratic and sustainable model and centering those whose communities have um, normally been in the margins.
3: Hi, I'm Megan Larmer. I'm the director of regional food programs at the Glenwood Center for Regional Food and Farming. Um, and I am talking to you from my living room slash home office, uh, which is in Glenham, which is right between Beacon and Fishkill up here in the Hudson Valley um, Glenwood is located on a working farm just outside of Cold Spring. Uh, it's a very beautiful place that I miss being very much. I've been out just, just twice since mid-March. All of our farmers are there um, keeping the animals and the plants and the soil healthy and happy and keeping each other safe with um, a lot of protocols to, to, to help them out during this, this difficult time. Glenwood's work is to ensure that the Hudson Valley is a region defined by food so that farming can thrive. So the way that Glenwood accomplishes that work and is continuing to accomplish it post um, or during COVID is to train new farmers through an apprenticeship program in um, regenerative livestock and vegetable farming. I worked for Slow Food USA in Brooklyn and Crown Heights and Through a number of really great coincidences, um, was introduced to Aura Wise, who lived just down the street, and uh, was sort of folded into that awesome community just as Fig was getting going. So um, I have attended a number of the reading group sessions and uh, have just really valued the network of of thinkers and actors that Fig is, and so was... um, uh, very ready to to loop in to the amazing organizing work that um, that took off quickly with that group when this pandemic hit. Have worked with Fig on. Um, some of their work with Indigenous peoples at the AMC last year, and right, just being being part of the conversations, and now have uh, been helping to facilitate donations from Glenwood's animal welfare-approved livestock operation to the emergency feeding work that Fig is now doing. Grassroots frontline organizers are where true innovation happens. It is said again and again, and this doesn't make it any less true, that those who are impacted are those who know the solutions. Those who are suffering are those who understand the remedy. And this is so clear in the work that FIG is doing um, by bringing together all these different kinds of stakeholders who are drawn by, by passion to make our food system actively more just and equitable. Led by the people in the restaurant industry who are just grievously, grievously suffering from the um, the impact of this pandemic, and seeing these people like Evan Hanzer and Ora Wise and um, all of the amazing restaurateurs and Katie McNulty and John Hidinger, seeing all of them responsibly understand how their businesses must uh, close, must take the brunt of this this painful moment, but turning those resources that exist within those businesses, the ability to use their kitchens and their hearts and their skills to serve the people that they love, which as I'm sure they'll talk about, encompasses so many um, of the people in New York City. The solutions that they're finding, these are the ones that make the most difference right on the ground. And there's something that I truly wish our policymakers and our leaders would learn from the incredible innovation of grassroots networks like FIG. The other very important and meaningful thing from the Glenwood side is for the farmers that we work with, the farmers who farm our farm, who raise the animals on the soils that they have tended so carefully, who raise those animals from um, their birth until their eventual harvest. These farmers give their whole lives to the care of these animals. And for them to know that the food that they are producing is going to people not as a denuded commodity that has been stripped of all of the care and value that these farmers have taken in caring for these animals, to know that the love that they've put into the raising of these animals is being cherished by the cooks who are preparing the meat that is the the end product of those farmers' work. To know that that food is not only being prepared with care, but then being given to people who are in need, who are their colleagues in the food system, who are falling through the cracks of the care that is provided by our broken state, to know that that food is giving not just the calories and nutrients that are essential for survival, but because the meaning and love of that food is being carried all the way through from our pastures to the eventual plates, that it is giving the people who eat it a sense of dignity and joy uh, is immensely meaningful for for the farmers who work at Glenwood.
1: Next, you'll hear from Evan Hanzer, chef of Egg Restaurant in Williamsburg. His restaurant is currently closed and he's taken on a lead role coordinating the logistics of donating all the products and getting all these items from the farms and purveyors and distributors to the kitchens that are cooking the food. Here's Evan.
4: All right, so i finished up at Egg. I am heading over to Natura now, uh, which is pretty close. Natura, if you don't know it, is is a pretty great um, distributor. They focus on really high-quality produce, um, work a lot with restaurants, and uh, that sound you're hearing is a common sound in this car on these trips, um, which is the fasten seatbelt seat belt alarm for the passenger seat because the car thinks with the 75 pounds of carrots that are in the front seat that there's someone that needs to be protected next to me. Which is not untrue, but uh, I'll wait a second until this stops. Um, So yeah, going to Natura, um, they've been super helpful. They've let us come by uh, once or twice a week to pick through their their seconds pile, which is basically produce that, you know, they're not going to sell to their customers, but still is good quality. Um, And we're able to put it to use either as fresh, donated produce, Or, uh, you know, as chefs, we often work with ingredients uh, and do whatever we can to make the most out of them. Uh, So if something's a little bit past its prime, we'll make it shine in a different setting. Um, So we've used them in stews, chilies, uh, salads, all sorts of stuff. Um, I think that's one of the cool things about the fig project is that, you know, we're not just uh, delivering folks ingredients, but we're, we're able to put these chef skills to use and to make something delicious out of, you know, um, items that might otherwise potentially be, be, wasted. Um, before all this, you know, egg was approaching its 15 year anniversary, actually celebrated air quotes, our 15 year anniversary, uh, during COVID, uh, on April 21st. And I said it that that evening we were on a FIG, uh, I think we were on a FIG group Zoom call that night, um, checking in on how things were going, reporting back, all that stuff. And, you know, I mentioned that I was, I was, it was a bittersweet day because of course the egg was not open and serving and we, we weren't together as an egg team and, you know, we we're greeting our customers or throwing the kind of celebration we thought we might, but so grateful to have the chance to work with FIG and to continue to do the work that was, so central to our mission before COVID and, and has even come into sharper focus, um, since, since this has all hit, um, yeah, before COVID hit, we were plugging along. We were just getting into the beginning of our growing season. We have a small farm, uh, up in the Catskills where we grow some produce for the restaurant. Uh, so that was getting started. A farmer truck was up there starting to get seeds going and um hoping to get in the ground soon we were you know continuing to serve folks breakfast and lunch every day at the restaurant um and i think a lot of people think uh you know since egg was around for so long we were some extraordinarily successful business especially having a location in tokyo um but you know still like many restaurants still Mm -hmm. a struggle you know to get get the numbers to line up we were certainly succeeding on the metrics of making people happy and trying to provide a, a good work environment for, for our team and um, have a positive impact on the food system. Uh, but, you know, making making uh, the business sustainable and profitable while we were just getting there uh, is always a struggle for restaurants. And as we started to see this coming, I think like many Uh, owners and and chefs and cooks, anyone involved in the system, uh, we knew that this was going to be a really difficult difficult time if if capacity, the amount of people you're able to serve, the the efficiency you're able to achieve in a restaurant decreases um, as it's been, you know, forced to decrease drastically in this situation and and will continue to be, um, for safety reasons, tamped down even as reopenings begin. It's hard to maintain uh, the business at a a level that's going to let it survive Um, so that's one thing we've been thinking a lot about um, as this has been going on how do we bring this back what do things look like Um, and also what things were we not totally happy with or um, completely proud of before this all happened and as we're going to reestablish this business and some sort of Uh, reach for a new normal what things would we like to change and and what might this provide us an opportunity with to change Um, so yeah a lot of hard questions that a lot of folks are facing right now Um, and I'm sure it's going to mean the end of a lot of businesses and a lot of good businesses Um, but I think it also will hopefully mean some creative new approaches that increase the sustainability um, and equity that we've been sort of lacking in the food in the food world for a long time. Uh,
5: Hi, this is Jonathan Hittinger. I'm at the commissary kitchen of the Pixie and the Scout. I'm the executive chef um, of the Pixie and the Scout.
6: Hi, this is Katie McNulty. I'm at the commissary kitchen for um, the Pixie and the Scout. We are a catering and events company. Uh, Our kitchen is in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. And we've been doing um, food relief work with FIG. Our kitchen has been assembling um, the packs, Prepared food and groceries uh, for food, um, sorry, for households, families who are in need of food.
5: And we are doing relief packs for um, a number of households in um, Queens, Harlem, and the Bronx
6: since we're specifically involved in the like creation and assembly of food, I think that our role in this effort was a a sort of organic extension out of what our company was actually doing in the wake of, um, COVID-19, like stay at home orders and, um, the closure of restaurants and bars. Um, I think that we, we had come up with a, Um, a pretty like sound limited, but sound pivot in the very first weeks of sort of very first weeks of
5: restaurant closure, very. So we were able to keep our kitchen staff Yes. We basically
6: stayed open in a certain capacity and our team stayed employed and that just made us ready and kind of immediately available to implement some of these ideas that, um, the network had, for how to help families. Right. And it also meant that we actually were sitting on a fair amount of food. I think that was the other big part of it is that we had a ton of inventory. We were thinking, trying to think of creative ways to move through our own inventory in the early days of April, late second half of March, early days of April. We were basically looking for ways to sell that. Food, um, create things with it, and then use that food to feed people who were desperately in need of like right. immediate help. Um,
5: yeah, it started with a couple like older employees needing food yeah. or other,
6: and then other people's employees, and then right. kind of grew into what is now friends
5: of people we knew.
6: Yeah, yeah, and then I think as soon as we started partnering with organizations, the system as it became set up, um, it made our commissary was just like uniquely equipped to be the space for assembling a large-scale thing because we have um, a fair amount of space. We're not open to the public. We're not – we don't have a, you know, uh, we don't have a curb. We're not – what is that word? We're not um, – we don't have a storefront. Yeah. In fact, in some ways, I think it's like the things that we normally – in pre-coronavirus times, some of these things like f- made us feel frustrated or felt limiting, and now they've actually become like a really major asset because they just um, have helped us keep our environment really safe and structured. Um, one one thing that I really appreciate about what Fig has chosen to do, how they have chosen to respond, is that we're um, focused on families who um, would often be sort of lost in the cross section of like other other worlds right. of you know, nonprofits and larger sectors of um, economic and and um, material relief, and also I think one of a really important factor in all of this was that, you know, it wasn't. It's not okay for people to just necessarily like line up or amass in huge groups in order to get things, and that's kind of like centered around the idea that people who need something so badly will just like do whatever it takes wait for wait as long as they have to right. you know stand in the line all that kind of culture yeah. around handout, you know handing things out to people and assuming that they'll just like be able to do that makes obviously it makes no sense all the time but like in this scenario it's also unsafe and so that sort of forced us to forced our, um, the Fig Network to come up with a mechanism for distributing relief that also was then really, really important for some of the communities that we've been distributing to where they're like the epicenter of the epicenter and it's particularly dangerous and um, risky for them to be moving, moving around their neighborhood, waiting in lines, interacting in certain ways in order to get um, food relief, you know. Our commissary is creating these prepared food and grocery packages that go to households once a week. We're probably around 100 households and the household can be anywhere from like three people to nine people or even I think there's some really large outliers on there. But right. anyway, we I means these are families whose livelihood had been, um, you know, mobile food vending or carts, food carts and things like that. Um, and those folks not only don't have a job, but they also, um, they're sole proprietors, they don't have access to the same kind of unemployment and other benefits that um, a lot of the, re- you know, food and hospitality workers are at least able to to access right now. So
5: we generally get a, a list of what's coming in, maybe a week or so um, in advance, and we try to create um, a meat-based prepared food item. We try to create a vegetable-based prepared food item, some bakery items, you know, like a granola or some baked breads, um, different dairies, different... And then there's all sorts of raw veg that's put in based on different donations.
6: It's not enough. Um, We aren't, like, kidding ourselves that a pack of groceries is really, like fixing all that's wrong or been broken in this in this crisis but um I think it's an embodiment of something that our company is always striving for which is this kind of centering of the folks that actually create the culture create the food it has a lot to do too with um for us this was an amazing opportunity to keep alive the channels of sourcing that we always rely on you know like this this particular network and um you know the fig network is committed to that and then this style of relief work enabled us to continue working with so many small farms and folks in the region who also desperately need to keep these partnerships alive in order to like keep their farms in operation at a really critical point in the year in the growing season right so that I think was really important to us and then it's been so awesome to see as this relief effort grows there is more and more capacity to keep sort of basically be this conduit of resources from um, donors to farms farms to our kitchen our kitchen out to a community of people who are absolutely intrinsic to how the whole food world works. Right.
1: We're going to take a quick break. Stick with us for part two of this special COVID-19 episode of the Line here on Heritage Radio. Of a small restaurant and catering business i know the hardship and devastation that covid has caused in the hospitality industry i've seen firsthand many of my friends and colleagues businesses that are now pivoting to new models and maybe you're considering reopening or pivoting and thinking about the best tools to achieve your goals if you're a small business owner square has tools that can help you re-engage and stay connected to your customers you can begin selling online with square in just minutes There's no coding with Square's online store, and you can get set up for curbside pickup, delivery, or shipping while keeping customers and your staff safe. You can take payments remotely, which is great in a world where we are all trying to do our best right now to social distance. And for people asking how they can support your business, Square offers digital gift cards. All of these tools work together to help you and your business, and you can find them all in one place, and you just need a Square account to get started. We've been using Square in our businesses and also on mobile devices at pop-up events for years, and it's the easiest and most functional point of sale that we've ever used. To learn how Square can help your business, go to square.com go slash line. And please remember to support your local restaurants, butchers, and bakeries. Welcome back to The Line. On today's episode, we're following the members of FIG as they source, prepare, and deliver meals to food-insecure New Yorkers during the COVID-19 crisis. Next, you'll hear audio from T-WISE, one of the delivery coordinators, on the way to making a delivery. So
7: I'm out here, I done about four or five stops on Thursday. Brownsville route, which is all families connected through partnerships with Children, um, a social worker agency that um, works through a school in Brownsville. Here, Um, everyone's been so sweet and happy, and you know, at this point, I'm seeing these folks every week, so we kind of just know each other. I'll be like, "All right, see you later," and you know, I think it's nice to to have it feel that way, you know, have it feel like just folks being there for each other, not necessarily like a charity act, not necessarily like a, oh, you need me for this, but just being like, I got you. So that's felt nice so far. Um, It's a beautiful day. It's blue and so green. This is kind of the way I get to see the city the most these days is while I'm driving around. Hydrangeas popping, um, all the trees that We're blooming right now, little kid is running down the sidewalk without a mask on, but being very cute. Um, so yeah, I'm about to go drop this next day.
8: Hello, my name is Karina Kaufman-Gutierrez. I am the deputy director of the Street Vendor Project, and I am calling in from Elmhurst, Queens. We are, the Street Vendor Project is involved with um, Food Issues Group because folks from FIG are supporting about 200 members of the Street Vendor Project with um, weekly food deliveries to their homes. Um, And really, they're really supporting a lot of, especially our older members. Um, who are not able to leave their homes safely, as well as undocumented street vendors who have not received any support from any level of government. Um, So the Street Vendor Project, we are a membership-based organization that works to defend the rights and improve the working conditions of the approximately 20,000 people who sell food and merchandise on the streets of New York City. Um, in our day-to-day work, we strive to expand vending, expand vending as a viable lawful employment option for immigrants and for other entrepreneurs, and to increase the public's a- appreciation of how central vending is to our city's culture and economy. And so we are, We operate um, by providing direct legal representation, small business training, organizing support, leadership development, and strategic legislative advocacy while we build power and community among members. Before COVID, um, vendors were already in crisis um, and facing a laundry list of challenges put forward by the city and the state that... um, you know, criminalize street vendors for for selling one dollar churros. That criminalize mothers, parents, um, immigrants, people of color for for being entrepreneurs of a business. So pre COVID, um, vendors were already in crisis. Um, it has been. Over 40 years since the city council has lifted or changed the cap on the number of permits that are available for street vendors to operate their businesses in New York City. And so there are only 3,000 mobile food vending permits available, and Eight hundred and fifty-three general merchandise licenses available for vendors to be able to operate their businesses in a way that's recognized as legal by the city. Um, if you don't have one of those coveted permits or licenses, and again, I remind you that there are there are twenty thousand street vendors in New York City, um, and just over three thousand permits or licenses available. Um, then you can be targeted, um, arrested, ticketed, harassed by the NYPD, by the Parks Department, by the Department of Health, by Department of Consumer Affairs, by the FDNY, by the DEP, the list of enforcement possibilities goes on, right? And that's not a fair way. That's not a just system for small businesses to operate. You know, we were at a critical juncture where the long-standing injustices that have been prevalent in immigration, health, housing, and labor systems have been burst wide open for society to see. And street vendors alongside other informal workers including day laborers and, and really all undocumented workers have been left without any formal relief and have been abandoned by all levels of government, despite the fact that they pay taxes, despite the fact that they contribute to the economy and the society. And especially in neighborhoods that don't have ready food access, vendors are the ones who are providing fresh fresh food affordable food to to their neighborhoods and so our work has really changed drastically because we are alongside other you know small nonprofits we are stepping in for the role of the government that has completely abandoned our communities and i think this is a pressure that um Many small nonprofits are feeling because we are fundraising to support huge populations um, that have just been completely left out of all forms of relief. Um, we are rapidly translating health and safety information that comes out that's not being shared um, in our communities, right? That's we're we're making sure that information that is only being shared online is actually going directly to folks who only use WhatsApp or who don't have a Facebook, um, who don't don't have Twitter, right? That's for especially for for vendors who a lot of folks are older um, older immigrants. They they're not seeing the critical health and safety information that is being you know shared in English and online. And so that's just some of some of the ways that our work has transitioned in this moment. You know, we're still continuing to fight and to continuing to fight for street vendor justice. This has just transitioned a bit because it's also fighting for justice for all informal workers, justice for for all folks who have been left out of of relief, um, and really amplifying that our our stories are shared by so many. The partnership with Fig and with um, the number of restaurants, including Egg, Gertie's, Olmsted, and then suppliers such as Lancaster Farm, uh, Mass Brothers Chocolate, we have been incredibly, incredibly moved um, to see the support that New York City's restaurant industry has been Showing to street vendors and to other folks. It's been incredibly moving to see how so many people have really stepped in and shown their love for their fellow New Yorkers through food, through sustenance, through sharing recipes, through making sure that nobody is left out. And so what FIG has been doing has been really making sure that those who have been excluded, right, are, are taken care of.
1: To learn more about FIG's food relief efforts, go to foodissuesgroup.squarespace.com or find them on Instagram at foodissuesgroup. Special thanks to Dylan Hoyer for editing and producing this episode. For all of our COVID-19 coverage, head to heritageradionetwork.org forward slash COVID-19. I'm Eli Sussman. Thanks for listening. The Line is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter,